Holly G with the Golf Insiders. For this edition of Tour Talk, yes, I was there. I made the trip to Miami to watch and experience the Live Golf Team Championship. We've been talking about it all year. This was the season finale. Eight events. From that perspective, you'd have to say uh, the Live Golf uh, series was a success. Uh, and to break it all down for us, he's been at all but one of the events in 2022. Bob? Hey there. You, yeah, if you'd have told me six months ago I'd have gone to seven of those events, I don't think, I, <laughs> I don't think we would have been on the same wavelength at all. And yeah. yet I ended up doing that. So uh, Including I, Bangkok and Jeddah and yeah. Portland. and got, Yep, Chicago and Miami. And I'm glad you got to experience, though. I think it's important to just see what they're up to, and it helps frame, frame what we think of it, having been at several of these. And, uh, you know, I think, as you said, just, you know, kind of from a narrow standpoint, it was a success. They played eight events. In March, they didn't have a schedule announced. You know, um, that, in, that in itself is, is an accomplishment. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have a long way to go and that they don't have a lot of hurdles in front of them. I think it's sort of like years of watching the TPC, the Players' Championship on television, and uh, watching players uh, play that par three island green and actually teeing it up and doing it yourself <laughs> i mean it's a it's two different experiences and uh, it was very interesting to walk amongst the fans to get an idea of the demographic uh to just really talk to fans and see why they were there what was their interest how they you know found out about it and just for many it was just to get out and enjoy a day at, at uh, Doral, the Blue Monster, and experience that iconic golf course. Look, to a lot of people, it's an entertainment option. That's what it is. I mean, not everybody who was there is totally into golf or even knows all that much about golf. I get the sense that a lot of people are very oblivious to the you know, controversial issues that surround live. They just want to go out and have a good time. They hear that there's music and there's, you know, there's fan areas, there's golfers that they've heard of that they'd like to see. I saw that, like, in Portland, for example, was a great, you know, example of, you know, I talked to some people who said, I've never seen Phil Mickelson in person. You know, we don't have men's golf here. I've never seen Dustin Johnson. You know, and that's a part of it that I think those of us who are in this and are close to it kind of, you know, have to step back and recognize. Like, that's sort of what they are doing. I mean, certainly that was the case, I noticed, in Thailand. There was a lot of very, very well-educated, golf-savvy people there who said, we never have these guys come here. I talked to guys who flew into Thailand, one from Malaysia, another from the Philippines. They did it specifically in Thailand is not that expensive of a place. They did it specifically because they knew the golf tournament was coming there, and it was their opportunity. So, you know, this is what Liv has done. They've, they've gone to some markets that are underserved. You know, Miami hasn't had a tour event for six years. Chicago 
did not have a PJ Tour event this year. Boston didn't either, although it had the U.S. Open. Um, you know, Portland doesn't have it. Uh, Bedminster is 40 miles from New York, but, you know, there's no tour event there now. So they, they managed to tap into some markets that are underserved. Uh, and then, you know, they're going to go to some countries that I think are underserved. So, you know, again, they have a long way to go. But I don't think too many people expected – now, it's been about a year when ago now that Norman was announced as their commissioner. I don't think too many people would have thought, myself included, that a year later they would have actually played a schedule and lured all those guys over. To, to be on the grounds and, and see the build-out from a perspective of just, you know, the production, it's labor-intensive, Bob. No question. I mean, you know, there's anybody over here or who's been around the PGA Tour knows what goes into running an event. You know, they have staffs that work year-round on these tournaments. You know it over there at Bay Hill. The Absolutely. You know, they have a tournament director. It's his full-time job. They have salespeople. They have uh, volunteer coordinators. They have... Um, uh, administrative people or, you know, you, you, you might, the, the operations people, the people who set, do the setup, they work on it all year. You know, when the tournament's over, they break it down. It takes them probably a month to six weeks, maybe even two months to sort of, you know, tie up all the loose ends. And then they're looking ahead to the next year. And so these guys had nothing in February and pulled off eight events with no income and, you know, they hired help, of course, to, to get this done. But um, I thought the presentation at the tournaments was nice. I thought once you got past the noise of the controversy, which is completely understandable, I'm not dismissing it, but once you got past that and you just got out there, it was golf. This, of course, was the team championship, which I have to say I really didn't understand completely until, you know, I was uh, – there experiencing the tournament and I can see where that aspect of of uh, their their um, you know marketing and promotion moving forward uh, has an interesting uh, twist exactly I mean you know there's they they, they they clearly are trying to cater to a younger audience um, and their numbers suggest that 40 percent of the people who are attending are under 45 um i would say higher than that yeah i mean frankly i would think they would want higher than that um you know the the demographic from like 18 to 37 or 35 whatever is very coveted uh but you don't want to dismiss the older audience in golf either those are the people that support the advertisers and so eventually these are the things they need to get on board they they have virtually no advertising, no sponsorship. They don't have a TV deal. Um, and there's, I think there's a progression of things that need to happen for their vision to take place. You need to get exposure that comes through TV. Clearly, they're not getting enough of it through YouTube. So you need to get on TV, and then that might bring some sponsors on board. And sponsors on board then makes the idea of selling these franchises probably more appealing. I don't think it's going to play out very fast. I get the sense that, you know, they're going to use next year 
again, is a year to try to build the franchise because I think that will only help. It's, you know, word of mouth, it spreads, people start talking about it. Because so much of the chatter around Liv has been negative, you know, and, and I understand that, that negative chatter, you know. Um, uh, but again, I think it's complicated. I don't think it's just, I don't think it's that simple. We're, we're here for a reason. It, it happened for a reason. And, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. Yeah, it is complicated. And I have to say, it was different. It was fun. Well, with the team competition, the way it was structured, they had some really good matchups, right? On Friday, it was Phil versus Cam Smith. Uh, Sunday, it turned out to be Cam versus DJ. Aside from Brooks and a couple others, you know, there there weren't a lot of interesting matches, and most of the crowd was just following a couple of groups. Right, you know, and Doral's a big place, and when you only have... Look, for that event, they had even less players, which is why I think they need to address the format of that. I mean, there were 16 players not playing on Friday and Saturday. So you only had, what, you only had 32 those days, and then you were down to 16 the last day. You know, when you've already got a small field, I'm not sure you want to be cutting it down to that. So... So that meant that every, you know, the people were all clustered in, in certain areas. You know, um, uh, I, I just I just think they have a lot of ways where they can improve. And if they have the flexibility, they'll think it through and do it. You know, like you and I have talked, I think they need to have a cut. You can have a cut and still let everybody play in the team thing. Um, you know, I just think this is a really cool idea. There's two ways where you could have qualifying that would happen every tournament. One is to take, you know, they have a feeder tour, the international series in Asia. Take the top four players from their latest event and plug them into a live event and let them play as a team. It'd be the ultimate underdogs, right? Mm-hmm. But it gives four guys access with a chance to play for 120 grand or 100,000 if whatever they change the purse. And if their team, let's say their team, you know, let them play the next week if they finish in the top six. Like, people will watch that. Those guys will become names that are talked about, maybe. That might get some, them some attention. And if they don't, then the next event, you know, it goes back to bringing somebody in who, who's done well in the international series. And let them, you know, I think they should add two teams and do that and have a, have a, have a qualifier. Let guys have a Monday qualifier, the four guys who get in are a team. So you'd have these two sort of outlier teams. I mean, people in soccer could relate to, like, a third division team getting to play in the Premier League. Right. You know, it, it just it would add interest, and plus it ticks that box of, hey, we're letting guys qualify every week. You know? Why they are so closed-minded about that, I don't understand. I think it... You know, they're, they're very in tune with the idea of, of building these teams and having these four-man teams. Okay, well, then allow for two other teams. Because it's, if they don't have an access point to their tour, it gives people all this fodder to say, you don't have a legit tour, like nobody can get on it. And that's a valid point when it comes to the world rankings. Right. So, anyway, I think it's a... Uh, I think it's an interesting dilemma they have going forward. 
my takeaway, my biggest takeaway was to say it's the future of golf. I mean, it's golf, but different. Forget the louder. Yes, it's louder, but it's different. And to try to be positioning themselves as another tour, I, personally, I think we're, that's where this has gone off the rails. You can be different. You could be, a, you know, an extension of golf. I look at it like arena football versus NFL football. They're not exactly. the same. You know, that's the, that might be the best analogy there is. Now, the difference, though, is that arena football players are pretty much considered not good enough to play in the NFL. You know, and so it was never viewed as a threat to the NFL. You know, True. when the USFL was around, they poached players from the NFL. All all of the rival leagues throughout history and sports, if you go back, they they never they never lasted. You know, it's hard to, especially in golf. You know, it's got its audience as it is, and now you're going to fragment it a little bit. Um, so, and yet, while I think there would be a way to work it out with the tour, I just don't get the sense that they want to. Uh, either side. Well, Norman has said he'd like to, but I don't know if they will. Uh, but to your point, it's the future of golf. I'm not so sure about that. Like, this is where the people who side with the PGA Tour, I'm like, I don't understand what you're worried about. Yeah, it's 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 disruptive, and it's maybe it stinks that some of these guys have gone over there, and you think less of them for it, but PGA Tour's not going anywhere. I mean, that's where the history of the game lies, basically, especially in the U.S. They've got a very, very solid foundation. They play 72 whole events. They have their players qualified for the majors. There's just no way that's going away. You know, I mean, this isn't going to take it over. I would, you know, I hear some people say, oh, they want to crush the PGA Tour. I don't think so. How can you crush the PGA Tour if you're only going to have 48 players? Unless they expanded into a tour of 120 players every week and you played every week, there's always going to be room for something else. Exactly. We've seen that in golf. It's a year-round sport, you know. So, But to your point, yes, it's different. I, I don't know if it's growing the game. I hate them they use that terminology. That's such a nebulous term, you know. I mean, growing the game, like, okay, I say, I would say exposing the game. You know, like, you know, they're, allegedly they're going to five international places next year. Um, the best we can tell, they're going to Mexico, Spain, the U.K., Singapore, and Australia. Okay, you're taking it to other places. That is exposing the game. Does it grow the game? Maybe. You know, but I mean, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, there's, there's a, there's a, a lot of sort of skepticism about just having a golf event all of a sudden makes people want to play golf. Well, and a great example of that, Bob, was golf in Rio for the Olympics. Right. I mean, yep. didn't that course even close down? I mean, the whole idea was that that was going to just spark this huge growth of golf. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exactly work that way. I mean, even the greatest... You know, the the greatest uh, person we had to help grow the game, you know, among minorities, African-Americans, Tiger, wasn't able to accomplish that to the level that I think any of us would have hoped. 
You know, it's just, there's, it's, and it's no knock on him, really. It's just the complexities of the sport. You know, it's, it's a difficult sport to play. It takes money to play, you know. Now, in some of these other countries, what the Olympics has done is given them the ability to have a federation that will develop players. And they pay for the development, which is great. So that has helped grow the game in that regard, you know. But um, I don't know if that – I just think the better word is expose the game. Well, the other uh, big buzz this week was Martin Slumbers, the chief executive officer of the RNA uh, on uh, Live Golf Players and the Open in 2023. He said, quote, we'll go public in January, February with what we are going to do with regard to live golfers. We're not banning anyone. We are not going to betray 150 years of history and have the open not be the open. The name says it all, and it's important. What we will do is ensure that there are appropriate pathways and ways to qualify. Curious on your your takeaways from what Martin Slumber said. Well, I was glad to say, glad to hear him say that they aren't going to ban live players. You know, I just think that would have been a bad move for any of the majors. If you're in to something you've already done, whether it's having had a high finish in a major last year, having won majors in the last five years, that should not impact you. I, I just don't see the point of going out of your way to keep guys out. And even to the extent of changing your qualifications to keep them out. I mean, you know, look, Taylor Gooch, he finished in the top 30 of the FedEx without playing the playoffs. The top 30 is an exemption into three of the majors. That should be honored. You know, just because he went and did something that they don't like, shouldn't preclude him. I mean, last I checked, maybe what they're doing is immoral in, in, in many places. I get that. But it's not illegal. You know, and so I just have a hard time. Why would the majors not want to have all the players that, that, that we think should be there? You know? G- DJ banked, what, $36 uh, million, uh, on Sunday with his team winning $16 million, $4 million to each guy. Uh, on top of whatever he made just uh, in terms of his signing bonus, Bob. So uh, I guess that was a pretty pretty good year for DJ. Yeah, give or take a million, I think you got the number right. <laughs> um, I can't do yeah. that many zeros. Yeah, I mean, you know, he got $18 million bonus for have, for leading the series. I think he won 11 or 12, was it 11 or 12 million just from the tournaments themselves as an individual. And then there was something like, well, like another, what, another seven, eight million from the team part. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And that's winning just one tournament individually. You know, I mean, DJ had a chance to win a couple others. You know, and, and again, like kind of, this kind of goes back to, you know, he's still a, a, a world-class player. Is he really 32nd in the world right now, which is what his ranking is, or 33rd? You know, he might not be in the top 10, but I don't think he's 33rd. You know, and 
I understand, hey, this is the bet he made. This is the decision he made. That's fine. But by the same token, if you're not ranking a guy like that, is that right? You know, so it's um, it's it's the whole thing, you know, still very, very murky, I think, and, and not a lot of easy answers. You think he was having any flashbacks? You know, he, it, it did come down to the 18th and the last putt. I, mean, I don't know. It was about a, what, a, a four-footer. Uh, think think he had any flashbacks to the U.S. Open um, at Chambers Bay? Bob? I mean, you know, $16 million for your team, that's a little bit of pressure. Sure, he didn't want to go into a playoff, you know. Um, you know, and at, at that at that U.S. Open at Chambers Bay, he missed a short putt like that to miss a playoff, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm sure it was nerve-wracking to him, you know. It's just... Um, not only is it the, for you, but your teammates. They're, they're depending on you. I think that's the aspect of this that, that has a chance to catch on. People have made fun of the team part of it. I understand that the team names, some of them are kind of hokey. They probably need to work on that. But, um, you know, there's, I do think there is an aspect of this that has some appeal. You know, and, and like, if you just step back from what the PJ Tour does on a weekly basis – you mean to tell me that there wouldn't have been throughout a year of 47 events, there's not a place for five, six, or eight of them that have something different like this? I think that's what the point of all this is. Like, you you know, like, why do they have to all be 72 holes? You could have a 54-hole stroke play event and put a team part of it in there and let the 54 holes count for FedEx Cup stuff and um, what you know, it's like I just don't understand why. If you just let's let's say it was the PGA Tour doing it, would people be like ridiculing it? I'm not so sure they would. It's just something different. Completely agree. So speaking of the PGA Tour, uh, we are uh, in the final weeks of the last of the wraparound seasons. Uh, and Seamus Power winning at the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Uh, there's an example, Bob, like we talk about, where the fall series may, really makes a difference for some guys. He jumps from, I don't know where he was, but to 35th in the world rankings. A uh, big win for him. And, um, and now we turn to Mayakoba in Mexico, where Victor Hovland may be going for a three-peat. Yeah, look, you know, these events in the fall that count for the next season have a lot of me- have a lot of meaning. It's just as many points as is winning uh you know, as as winning the Honda or or winning the Travelers. You know, it counts just the same. And so that's where these guys who are playing are really helping their cause, especially with only only seventy going into the playoffs next year. We've only got three left, Mayakoba. Um, has been great to Victor Hovland the last couple of years. Uh, it's another opportunity. You know, Sky Scheffler's playing. Um, Morikawa is playing. You know, they've got some names there. And uh, they're, uh, you know, those guys have a chance to enhance their position, you know, here going into next year. That won't be the case a year from now. And it'll be interesting to see how, how the fall looks next year and what it all really means. They, they haven't really outlined that for us yet. And, uh, I'm curious to see how that goes down. Um, before I let you go, I'm curious your opinion on Patrick Reed 
filing this defamation lawsuit. Now he's added Fox Sports, the AP. Uh, but there's several, you know, people in the media, our friends, who are part of this. Yeah, it's a head scratcher. Um, this sort of, you know, I guess, uh, well, what, what, what would it be? Would it, if, if he slandered somebody, that's the that's the spoken word. Libel is the written word. Um, you know, that's very hard to prove for a public figure. You know, I mean, just because somebody wrote a story that was critical of him, that's not the basis for a lawsuit. I don't understand who's who's taking this to court and thinking that they're going to prevail. Um, you know, you have to go out of your way to attack somebody and be wrong about it. You know, too, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, what, you know, what's the old movie, Absence of Malice? You yes. Know, you have to prove malice, and that's hard to do, especially with a public figure. The standard is higher, and you know, in other words, that they're in a they're in an arena where they're going to be criticized. That's just part of it. And um, yeah, I'm really surprised. I mean, you know, I think they cited one column that Doug Ferguson wrote, and he's in he's in on the lawsuit. It's um, it's just a. Uh, so this is very, very bizarre. I just don't think it's helping his cause any. So who's yep. your pick at uh, Mayakoba? And, oh, by the way, the other thing I was going to say is, how'd you feel about Colin Morikawa saying he feels old at 25? Ouch! <laughs> yeah, that's why like, I was, I was going to pick him, and I don't know if I can pick him now when he said that. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, poor guy. Yeah, what? For, he is due for a win, though. He really is. And, you know, it's been almost a year. Kind of weird. He went through the whole year without a win. Um, yeah, and a lot of people probably forget, um, you know, last year at the Hero in December, Bob, you know, he had the chance to jump into world number one. Yep, I know. He really did. And he, and he, and he had a big lead and he blew it. Yeah. And, and he hasn't really been the same since. You know, and uh, now I think he's down to ninth. Shows you how much volatility there is. But, you know, this would be a great place to get back on track. Yeah, it sure would be. And it uh, looks like it'll be a, a great weekend weekend uh, at Mayacoba in Mexico. Well, Bob, as always, uh, love, uh, loved having some time with you in the press room uh, over the weekend. And uh, we will uh, continue to uh, follow golf as uh, – we come into the end of, uh, well, the end of the beginning of the last wraparound season <laughs> on the PGA Tour. Right. Absolutely. Thanks so much, my friend. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you.